The Tom Woods Show, episode 1465. Prepare to set fire to the index card of allowable opinion. Your daily dose of liberty education starts here. The Tom Woods Show. Folks, if you believe in homeschooling, but you also believe in not running yourself ragged and in maintaining your mental health, then you need the self-taught Ron Paul curriculum, for which I made 400 videos on history and government. Get it from me, and I'll throw in three exclusive, unbelievable bonuses you can't get anywhere else. How do you get it through me? Head over to ronpaulhomeschool.com. Hey, everybody. Tom Woods here. Very glad to be carrying on with Brian McClanahan Week. Brian is the author of many books, as I've told you this week, holds a PhD in history from the University of South Carolina, very knowledgeable. Uh, Right off the bat, I knew I wanted him teaching for me at libertyclassroom.com, where you can learn the history and economics they didn't teach you. And today we're going to be talking about the South. This is the forbidden topic. If you are interested in the South, you probably support slavery and segregation. That is the level of discourse you can expect, even in parts of the libertarian movement where there are parts of the libertarian movement where I fully expect to hear the leftist conventional wisdom repeated without irony and with, <laughs> without any skepticism. So I thought today we would talk about this. I mean, after all, Liberty Fund, which is the great organization that holds uh, academic symposia and also uh, helps to keep a lot of great and important libertarian and liberty-related works in print in inexpensive editions – Uh, One of the books they published was called The Southern Essays of Richard M. Weaver. They didn't think to themselves, oh, it's not libertarian to release a book about the South because that means we like slavery. Back then, you know, there were more libertarians than today who had an IQ above 75. So it was possible to release a book like that. And that's a great book, by the way. Of course it is. I mean, Liberty Fund wouldn't have released it. It's a great book and it should be read. But what is the deal with the South? Is there anything valuable in the Southern tradition, or is it all tied up with slavery? Now, Brian McClanahan um, basically spent at least half his childhood in Delaware, so not not really in the South, but nevertheless uh, came to have a real interest in the subject. So I thought, as part of Brian McClanahan Week, let's talk about the South and what we might say for the South, and is there any benefit that comes to us from studying and perhaps even appreciating the South? Brian, welcome back. Thanks for having me, Tom. Appreciate it. All right, we're right in the middle of Brian McClanahan week. So let's talk about the South. We talked about your background. We've talked about some lesser known presidents. But let's talk about the South because, of course, today, if you say you're interested in the South, well, what reason could you have for that other than you want to oppress black people? Like, they, <laughs> this is the level. This is the level that you are at. This is the, and it's so funny. There are people who uh, go after me and they really think they're zinging me on this stuff. And I just. Right. If they had any idea the utter contempt I have for them and how absolutely stupid I think they are, you know, they, they have no idea. Right? You are not hurting me in any way. Yeah. I, I would want to be uh, disliked by people who are frankly that dumb. Right. So, uh, so we did talk a little bit about how you, as a guy who, let's say, grew up, uh, let's say, you know, at least half your youth was spent in Delaware, uh, nevertheless came to be a Southern historian and not exclusively a Southern historian, but one, I mean, you know, you are with the Abbeville Institute. So that is obviously part of who you are. Um, When people hear that again, as I say, you know, perfectly well, they think the worst. Mm -hmm. Now they don't, they don't think that if you're interested in any other area, even though in any other area, you can also find aspects that 
nobody likes. You know, you can, mm-hmm. but, but they just think that the bad parts of Southern history are the only that's that is what the South is, and there's there's nothing else to be said. So that's what I thought when I went off to college. Of course, that what else would I think, right? I there's no way to have any exposure to any other way of thinking. So the thing that I know I'm asking you, and yet here I am telling you my story. But the thing <laughs> that made me think, well, maybe there's maybe the South has something to say to us was I was in American Intellectual History, which was a two-semester course taught by Donald Fleming at Harvard. Donald Fleming, as far as I know, published nothing. Maybe he published one thing, then he got tenure, and for the next 50 years, he did nothing other than deliver (laughs) word-for-word the same lectures every year. Now, how do I know they were the same lectures? Because a friend of mine took, like, he dictated the notes or whatever, like, he took the most amazing notes, and he said... He's going to teach you so much, it's going to be beneficial for you to have these notes as he's talking to you. So I had them, and he's saying word for word the same thing that he said the previous year, the year right. before that. So anyway, he but he introduced us to the, the book by the so-called 12 Southerners called I'll Take My Stand. I never mm-hmm. heard of it. How would I have heard of this? No one's going mm-hmm. to teach me that. And so I thought, huh, well, that's interesting. Maybe I should be fair. I mean, it was honest to goodness. I thought I should be fair. I shouldn't just say these people are all stupid, backward hicks. Maybe I should read them. So I read I'll Take My Stand, and I thought, okay, I don't agree with everything in this book, but that was not stupid, mm-hmm. and that was not a waste of my time, mm-hmm. and nobody knows any of this. And uh, so I, I felt like I had been propagandized. As soon as I read that book, I thought I've been propagandized, and that's mm-hmm. just not right, and I, I resented that. Now, inter- interestingly enough, and I, I will – I know this is Brian McClanahan week and it's turning into Tom Woods week the more I talk. But <laughs> while I was there, uh, Eugene Genovese came and gave a series of lectures at Harvard about the Southern tradition. And he later mm-hmm. published them as a book, which I believe was called The Southern Tradition. Yes. And, and he and every luminary imaginable was there to hear these lectures. And they were, of course, brilliant. And Genovese was an ex-Marxist, but he still had, had plenty of leftist sympathies. And yet he was saying there is much of value in the Southern tradition. This is a guy, he's an ex-Marxist, mm-hmm. okay, but but still with some leftist sympathy. And even he was able to say, you know, it's actually not all slavery. You know, there was something to be said. So he gave this, these, these lectures. And I remember him saying, now listen, if you go down to some podunk Southern college in the middle of nowhere and you start lecturing in the South, well, you better not have a misplaced semicolon because they're going to call you on it. He said, however, if you go up and lecture on the South at an Ivy League university, don't worry about it. Nobody's going to know anything. <laughs> and he said that to a group of Harvard professors. It was so delicious. Yeah. So all right, so that too, it made me think, all right, well, I mean, here's a guy from the left who said, let me be fair. Maybe there's something here that I can learn from. So, you know, so all the low IQ, dumb guy people in the libertarian movement just don't mean anything to me compared to these people. So, all well, right. So tell me if somebody said, oh, okay. You want to comment on that first? Well, yeah. First it? of all, with Genovese, he didn't just say there's something to this. He actually said that not uh, denying the Southern tradition was a cultural and political atrocity. Yes, that's it's right. An, it's an atrocity. Not just, hey, there's something to this. We th-. No, it's an atrocity. Yeah, um, yeah. So- I, I mean, think, could you imagine yeah. you and you you saying that or me saying that? It would be the end of the world. <laughs> it would be the end of the world if you said that. Right. Well, of course, because we would just not want to oppress black people. I mean, that yeah, was, right. That well, what other reason could you have? Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, let, let, so, let's 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 try to be as uncharitable as possible in our interpretation <laughs> of other people. Right. All right. Now, uh, suppose somebody says, "Look, you're you are with the Abbeville Institute, which wants to preserve what's good in the Southern tradition." Um, what does that mean? 
Well, I, I think, you know, first of all, the Institute was founded about 17 years ago by Don Livingston, who is a great philosopher. I mean, Don Livingston taught at Emory University. He was internationally recognized as a Hume scholar. I mean, he, he was known all over the world as the foremost Hume scholar in the United States. Um, so he's not, again, he's, he's not an intellectual lightweight by any stretch of the imagination. But the idea is to explore what is true and valuable in the Southern tradition. So what does that mean? What's true and valuable? Well, obviously, slavery and, and Jim Crow, aren't, these things aren't true and valuable, right? I mean, it's, it's not something that we would even want to discuss. But when you look back at American history and you find the things that made America great, just use that phrase. When, when we use that phrase, of course, now that's politically loaded. But if you find what was, what was beneficial about America, what was something that really, when people identify with America— well, who was the quintessential American at one time? If I was to ask you the question, I'll ask you the question. In your mind, going back to the 18th or 19th century, who was the American that all over the world, or even we'll just say the United States, who would people identify with if you were just to point one person as American? Who would that be? I would say Thomas Jefferson of Virginia. Okay, Jefferson is one, right? Or you could say George Washington. Oh, George Washington, also a Virginian. Or you could say Daniel Boone. Daniel Boone... If you look at James Fenimore Cooper, right? So um, if you're not familiar with James Fenimore, I know you are, but your listeners. James Fenimore Cooper wrote the, the Leatherstocking Tales, which were uh, the, the Deer Slayer, Last of the Mohicans. So a lot of people have seen that film. Oh, yeah, Last of the Mohicans. It's great. Well, um, and the film is nothing like the book. But the main character is essentially Daniel Boone. And this is why Ben Franklin went over to France and wore a coonskin cap. I mean, he's trying to show that he's one of these frontiersmen, right? So... Uh, was see, I was thinking. I was thinking politicians. Well, <laughs> Which politician? Right. But but right. but even there, by the way, I mean James Madison, George Mason. I mean, you just go on. Right. And on. There's so many important people just coming from Virginia alone. That's right. So I mean, that was that's the Southern tradition, and, and that is when you think about the Declaration of Independence. Who wrote that? Well, Thomas Jefferson. Who who is called the father of the Constitution? Well, James Madison. So you look at all of these things that are quintessentially American. And it's Southern. The, the indispensable man, George Washington, is Southern. And he was that way because of his cavalier rearing. So, I mean, it was, that was the Southern tradition. So that's what drew me into it. It was this, my gosh, you look at all these, if we want to talk about our side, nullification. Well, we can go back and point to the Suffolk Resolves, which I think is fantastic, by the way, out of Massachusetts. Um, and, but then you, the first major uh, explanation of that in the United States was Jefferson and Madison in Virginia and Kentucky. And then you've got Calhoun. And so you've got, you've got this nullification thing. You've got this, this independence thing. You've got all these things that really make America. It's the American character. When we had Texas independence in 1836, what did William Barrett Travis say? Well, he's fighting for liberty and all things dear to the American character. Well, what's that? It's independence. It's self-determination. So uh, these things are Southern. And it's not that, of course, New Englanders didn't get involved in this stuff either. They did, of course. But uh, when you think about who really defined America in the first 80 years of American history, it's the South. It's Southerners. And so that's the tradition we want to talk about, the political tradition, which is important for us today. Uh, of course, even uh, parts of the cultural tradition are rich. I mean, Southern literature, Southern music, uh, Southern art. I mean, there's so many things to talk about there that really make up uh, what it, uh, you know, this fabric of the United States. And uh, as you said, if you just say, I like the South, if you're going to study the South, you're going to study it as a specimen, if you're an establishment historian, as like under a microscope, this bug that we have to analyze. And then we're going to find all the bad things about it. It's just going to be a cockroach. We look at it as a butterfly, right? So, I mean, it's, 
if you want to examine it, well, then it's beautiful. I mean, there's so many beautiful things about the South. It's a garden. It's a it's a beautiful place. And this is how people def- how described it when they were settling over here. Look how wonderful this place is. Whereas in New England, you have you have the I think this had to do with some of their worldview. But uh, if this is a place that had to be endured, and you think about the climate, of course, in New England, it's not as nice as the South when it comes to your warmth and you know very lush environment. I mean, it, it's harder to live in the North uh, in, in in the cold climate. So. So just that uh, and the way that these things were described is just it's it's two worldviews and it's very interesting. I think beneficial for Americans to recognize that. All right, I personally think it's much easier to live in the north, but <laughs> I, I, the, the the heat down here is just inhuman. I mean, you got to be kidding me! And well, it, it's because of American ingenuity that they were able to even make this place inhabitable in the first place. I mean, let's come on now. Well, can I tell you something that's funny about that? Of course, I love air conditioning too, right? Nobody in the South doesn't like air conditioning, right? Right. right but, but but look, look, look. If you're cold, put on a coat, right? You know, you're cold in the north, put on a put on a coat. But but you're hot. What are you gonna do? Well, you know, Don Livingston. Well, tell he told me the other day. This is about two weeks ago on the phone. He said, "Brian," and you have to. If you've never met Don, he has this very fun accent. He says, "Brian, I have to tell you, air conditioning ruined the South." <laughs> oh, and, and, and is the theory that because when you didn't have air conditioning, you'd sit on, out on your stoop and your neighbors would walk by and you'd have community. But then with air conditioning, you could just sit in your house all day and you didn't right. have that interaction. I'm just taking a guess. That's, that's the front porch culture. But he also, because you're not as vigorous, you don't get outside, you don't do, you're not active. I mean, um, but he doesn't have air conditioning. Don Livingston lives in South Carolina without air conditioning. Oh, no, no, that that's no, that he's, remember everybody's allowed one deviation. <laughs> I think that one counts for two. <laughs> He does not have it. He will. So when you go and you, I mean, he, you can't complain about it being hot. He's oh, it's not hot. You know, it does, it's not hot. He, he drives, he, he drives a pickup truck. I think it doesn't have air conditioning. It's this old beat up truck. You would think this Emory philosopher, he has this, this pickup truck that's got dents all over it. I mean, it looks like it's been run through a compactor almost. And that's what he drives. It's so funny. Um, but I mean, he is, he is, uh, he just does not believe in air conditioning. He thinks it ruins everything. So um, yeah, the climate is hard. My my wife will tell you, you know, she wants to, she doesn't like the heat uh, and she's been in the South her entire life. So yeah, it's tough. But at the time, think about the 18th century though, nobody had air conditioning. And so, you know, heat is hard, right? I mean, th- more people die of cold than they do heat. So unless it's insects, but I mean, you know, if you think about mosquitoes, and but just in terms of the heat itself, you're not going to, unless you just completely overheat, but you get used to it, right? So, uh, you know, the cold, you'll freeze to death. All right, listen. This you're not getting anywhere with me, Brian. This, this, we're gonna have to. This this dog ain't ain't gonna hunt. We, we're gonna try something different here. All right. Well, l- let me let me put it this way. If I were to read some, you know, let's say some important Southern figures in in say the 19th century, they would not probably look at slavery as a dispensable adjunct of Southern society the way the Abbeville Institute does and says, well, we you know we don't want that part, but we want all the good things. But the thing is that people who actually inhabited that civilization did not think these things were separable and did mm-hmm. think that was fundamental to Southern identity. So how do you reckon with that? Well, I mean, I, that's that's a very good question. It's something we have to do all the time. Um, I think that you could take that uh, almost anybody. I mean, you could go to the North and um, and talk about individuals who had no problem with it either. I mean, oh, well, we're not, we're not going to have slavery ourselves. But I mean, it's, it's part of human society. I think this was essentially a 19th or 18th century, 17th century worldview of the inferior inferiority of certain peoples in society. I mean, every you could you would be it would be hard pressed to find more than uh, you know maybe a few thousand people in the entire United States who didn't think that. Um, so in their mind, what they're looking at is okay. We've inherited this institution, 
It's uh, we have it. What do we do with it? How do we end it? Even if you wanted to end it, right? And Jefferson and Taylor and all and George Mason, they were all thinking about this. We wanted to end it today. Well, how would we do it? And how would we do it that it wouldn't upset society? You have a, a, a class of people that had never had any education or, or training uh, to have the same level of citizenship as people that had had these things. So how do you integrate these people in society? And I think that was always, they were wrestling with that. And by the 19th century, um, it was so ingrained in society, well, it does become a part of, of society. And certainly they argue that. I mean, you, know, you, you were right. You would find a lot of intellectuals who would. I think that you can take the two apart because um, if you look at Calhoun, for example, who would say that, uh, you know, slavery was an important part of Southern society. But is that the only thing we can learn from him? Um, is it, I mean, do we have to say, and that, that's essentially saying that if Calhoun wasn't talking about slavery, he wouldn't be for limited government or he wouldn't be for republicanism. He said a lot of things about, about many subjects. And I think that's the important part to take from it. Or John Taylor of Caroline, right? Who certainly uh, was somebody that was invested in the system of slavery. He had a large plantation. Or John Randolph of Roanoke. I mean, Randolph, of course, freed his slaves. Uh, but I mean, that that's that's where we are. I mean, you can, you can take the things that they find that's valuable about what they say and say, all right, well, yeah, we don't agree with them on this, but these things, aren't, aren't these things very important? Isn't Calhoun saying that what would happen if we had this two-party system like we have, where once one party's out of office, they're going to talk about the Constitution, the other party's going to abuse it, and when it's flipped, they're going to do the exact same thing? Isn't that valuable? Don't we? Can't we get something out of that? And I think the answer is yes. And so, in, in our mind, you can divorce them because there's something valuable about what they're saying besides this institution of slavery or racial inferiority or some of the things they got into. All right, Brian, before we go on, let me take a quick minute to thank what I think may be the sponsor I am the most proud to promote, and that's an amazing site, Skillshare.com. What an opportunity you have as a Tom Woodshow listener to get free access to over 30,000 classes for two months. That's classes in design, business, illustration, creative writing, mobile photography, whatever it is, you're going to find it on Skillshare. doesn't matter whether you're looking to discover a new passion or start a side hustle or gain new professional skills. Skillshare is going to keep you learning, thriving, and reaching your goals. I'm hearing all the time about people who are getting ahead on the job because they're the only person in the firm with a particular skill, and they learned it through Skillshare. Well, you can join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare today with a special offer just for my listeners. As I said, you can get two months of Skillshare for free. That's right. Skillshare is offering Tom Woodshow listeners two months of unlimited access to over 30,000 classes for free. So to sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash Woods free. Again, go to Skillshare.com slash Woods free to start your two months now. That's Skillshare.com slash Woods free. Let's talk about, um, let's say, more recent history. I'm curious about today in 2019, what is still distinctive about the South? Because if you try to say to Southerners, you know, if you should think of yourselves as Southerners and, and, and promote Southern culture, a lot of them just don't seem to care. So what is it? What do you notice if you go to the South that even today differentiates it from the North? Well, I think it depends on which Southerners. There are Southerners that still care. And I think the South still is a distinctive area. People still recognize it. Um, you know, and I have, I teach I teach students from all over the country because of where I teach, and it's it's a military community. And uh, so we have students from all over the United States and all over the world, but we still have a lot of students from this area. And so you can tell them. I mean, you can tell the students who aren't from here and the students who are from here by several things. First of all, it's language. Um, I mean, I make this joke all the time, but if I was to go to Boston tomorrow, right? So you're from, you're from Boston. 
correct? Is I mean, do you yeah, call Boston? Boston area. Okay. Boston area. Right, so yeah. if I went to Boston with you and I went to, what's your grocery store there in Boston? Oh, uh, Stop and Shop would be one. All right. I go with you to you say, come on, Brian, let's go to the Stop and Shop. And I walk into the Stop and Shop and I walk up to somebody at the front and I say, I'm fixing to do some shopping. Can I get a buggy? And then I'm going to buy some grits and get some sweet tea. Okay, would we you- would just okay, we would just laugh at you. I'm just right. I'll just be honest. <laughs> right, but if I said that you first of all, they would say, "What the heck is fixing? You're doing what? Are you going to go out and get your car? You got some tools to fix the buggy, right? And what is yeah, a buggy and, and, anyway? And, right? and and just yeah, buggy. I'm just throwing you out of the store. I'm sorry. <laughs> right, shop so, somewhere else. Right. So I mean, I don't use those terms, but those are terms. So you have these idioms and these distinctive language that you still have in the South. So I think this language still matters. Um, there's a there's actually a, a kind of a country rock band that has a they're called the Cadillac Three, and they have a little tune where there's a song called This Accent. You can take everything, but you can't take my accent. So it's you still have that language that I think makes it distinctive. Plus you have, of course, every major form of American music has its origins in the South. Um, so music is still something that Southerners attach to. Um, there's still the literary tradition in the South. There are still are things. There's still, I mean, look, now it's it, nowadays Southerners attach quite a lot to athletics, which which they don't know that all the ball games came out of the North, but that's okay. Um, they stay, it's, it's, it's their athletics. I mean, think about how, uh, if you watch college football, I don't know if you do, but the, the South dominates all of that. I mean, you, you lived in Auburn, right, for, for years. So was there anything else in the fall except Auburn football on Saturdays? I mean, it's. Oh, no, you, you had, and you had to stay off the roads because you're right. not going to get anywhere. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's uh, people that aren't from around here don't realize how important these things are. So you have that cultural continuity. Southerners still like to hunt and fish, I think, more than most people in the country. There's still, uh, there's still that. So there still is this regional identity. Um, my wife actually worked in sales for a time. And um, one of her territories was in New England. And so she'd have to call them and they would keep her on the phone because all they want to do is hear her talk because she has a beautiful Alabama accent. So they just, and now, and I asked people, how many people would call New England and want to keep a New Englander on the phone just to talk to them? <laughs> you, no, nobody does that. Nobody says, you know, I'm going to call somebody from Boston just so I can talk to them today. So I can hear them say, we're going to go park the car. Let's go to, let's go to the, let's go to family park. Oh my gosh. No, they don't like do a- that. This is like a dagger through my heart, this whole conversation. <laughs> <laughs> but they'll call somebody from the South and they'll, they'll listen to it just because it's interesting, right? So think about all the comedy, how much comedy comes out of the South, you know, and it's, it's people poking fun at themselves or people poking fun at the South. But, you know, Jeff Foxworthy is, it, it, it's Southern, right? So that's, you, you have that part of it too. Southerners uh, really have this distinct culture that I think people can still identify, even if they don't know how to do it, it's still there. Let me make what I've heard as a maybe like a paleo critique of the of the South today, and that is disproportionately the South favors the regime's wars and tends to be more mm-hmm. warlike than other parts of the country. And is this an example of maybe a bad quality in the South that that they here they are they were conquered by the regime now they want to be the ones who are the shock troops for the regime's invasions <laughs> around the world? What is the deal there? Well, I, look, the South has always been more militaristic. There's no doubt about it. I mean, even going back into the colonial period, um, you know, Washington remarked at one time, uh, unless I can pay the troops from Massachusetts, they won't fight. So uh, I got to pay them some money or they're not going to come do this. Um, now, Southerners were signing up. Yeah, let's go fight. So that's, I think that's cultural. You've got the Celtic part of that where they're, they're much more, and of course, honor in the South and the cavalier culture. They, that's, that's part of it. Um, I think when you get into the modern era, you got to remember, I mean, the South was completely defeated. And so how do they come back in this union? How do they, how are they accepted? Well, 
we'll, it, we'll go fight for you. I mean, we're good soldiers. The Spanish-American war rolls around. Uh, we'll go out and fight. We'll put the Union together through military conquest. And, um, you know, James Harrison Wilson, who went through this area where I live, he, he actually sacked the city and burned it to the ground. Um, he was back in the city in 1898 uh, recruiting people to go fight in the Spanish-American War. So the city that he burned was signing up to go fight with him back in the Spanish-American War. Um, and I think that's just because of the fact they wanted acceptance. Southerners wanted to be accepted. And so we'll go do the heavy lifting. We'll do it for you because, I mean, this this brings us back in the union. I think there was some of that part of it. It was almost like a Stockholm syndrome or just wanted to be liked again. Uh, but you do have some Southerners who are anti-war. Um, you know, J. William Fulbright was anti-war. Um, you have uh, Claude Kitchen of North Carolina was anti-war. So you have them out there. Um, but yeah, I think that militaristic culture is certainly part of, of Southern culture, which, um, you know, if you're going to be fighting war, Southerners will sign up to do it no matter what. They'll be the frontline troops and they'll go and uh, they'll do it willingly because they think that's part of their honor and their duty. Well, tell me then, what exactly is it that an organization like the Abbeville Institute, which I like very much, and they get attacked by all the usual suspects, but none of them can think of any reason to attack them because you look at their uh, scholarly events and there's absolutely nothing objectionable about any of them. So it just has to be, well, it's a Southern group, so there's probably something sinister going on here. Like, that's really the best <laughs> they can do. They can't, cannot find anything wrong with it. Right. But anyway, yeah, all the normal people are fine with the Abbeville Institute. But um, what is it that they are trying to accomplish today? Well, I think it's simply just uh, a re-examination of the things, as we said, that are, that are valuable in that Southern tradition. What is what is politically valuable about the Southern tradition? Well, I mean, for, for Don Livingston, it's this idea of decentralization. We look at America, we've got 320 million people of, of I mean, different, look, diver, America is diverse. So if that's the case, then if you have this nationalism, one-size-fits-all policy, well, of course people are going to be angry about it. If, if Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is running the United States government, well, there's a good portion of the population that's not going to like that. At the same time, if Donald Trump is running the United States government, there's a good portion of the population aren't going to like that. So wouldn't it be better to have a decentralized system that would work and be responsible to the to the culture of the, of the areas, the regions, the states, whatever it is that we can talk about? Plus, I just mentioned these other cultural things. These are things that we do all the time. Uh, we just had a, a summer school last year on Southern music and how important that was um, in, so, in the Southern arts. Um, when you look at uh, Southern literature, we've done three or four summer schools on that, how important that is. Um, so there are several things that the South can offer as an example. We can hold up Thomas Jefferson. We can hold up George Washington as Southerners. Wouldn't, every, wouldn't it be better if people actually interacted with each other like George Washington rather than like a bunch of buffoons that they run around with something so unmannered and just rude and, and uh, despicable today? I mean, how many people get tired of rude people walking around them because we have no manners? Wouldn't it be better to have, uh, you know, cavalier manners in society? Now we can say that, well, yeah, then we might have duels. Uh, but I mean, we can get rid of that, right? We're not going to duel each other. But wouldn't it be better if we had some of these things that the South offered at one time, a little more genteel society? Wouldn't that be great? Um, I think that's what we try to do and say, there's something that the South can offer. It's just like Genovese saying, there's something to the Southern tradition. These people weren't just a bunch of hayseeds, hillbillies, and hicks. They were intelligent. They were, they were, they were uh, prescient people. And uh, perhaps there's, there's something to be said for the South. On the other hand, <clears throat> you get people like uh, Harry Jaffa. Mm -hmm. I'm... Oh, that was a good response. I thought you'd say, oh, which is what I would have said. <laughs> he, he, he and uh, Tom DiLorenzo had a debate years and years ago about Lincoln. Right. And Jaffa, of course, wants to evaluate Lincoln not on the basis of his actions, 
but on the basis of words in two pretty speeches that he gave, which is mm-hmm. not really, you know, that I think that was also Clyde Wilson's critique of, of Jaffa, that he's he's looking <laughs> at a theoretical Lincoln, you know, that, that comes from words on a page and not the Lincoln who did things. You know, like, <laughs> no. What were the things Lincoln did? But Jaffa was, was inclined, as some neocons are, like I think Victor Davis Hanson, I could be wrong about that, to compare Southerners to Nazis. Mm-hmm. Well, because, I mean, look. You know, because they had racial domination. I mean, what right. do you say about that? Well, did the North not have racial domination? I mean, that's that's one response to it. I, I, when the war began in 1861, was the North interested in an egalitarian society? Or could we just say that about the, was Abraham Lincoln interested in an egalitarian society? Absolutely not. First of all, Clyde's response to Jaffa is not, uh, he, he's just, Clyde says that we shouldn't even read Harry Jaffa. We shouldn't even pay attention. And the only reason he has a claim to fame is because he debated Mel Bradford. Otherwise, nobody would pay any attention to Harry Jaffa. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's true. his thing. Yeah, don't even worry about, look, we should just not even mention him. He who shall not be mentioned, uh, is just, <laughs> that's, that's it. We shouldn't even talk about this guy. So um, certainly that proposition nation uh, has become quite popular at Hillsdale College, as you mentioned, and, and uh, with, with uh, Victor Davis Hanson, that's where he teaches, and um, the neoconservative Inc. or conservative Inc. Um, but my response to that is, I mean, look, was there any part of America in 1861 with the exception of some very radical abolitionists who believed in an egalitarian society? You can't find it. Lincoln made his statements about race in the Lincoln-Douglas debates in 1858 because Douglas kept pressing him on it and saying, this guy believes in equality of the races. And Lincoln finally had to say, no, I don't. I don't believe in it at all. Uh, Here's what I think about it. And so he would get votes. He only did that so people would vote for him, right? I mean, that shows you where Illinois was in 1858. Uh, And it was the same across the United States. Look, I mean, you you go and, uh, and look at Senators from New England, representatives from New England, what they said about uh, African-Americans at the time, uh, they said very nasty things about them. So America was a was overall was not interested in, in racial egalitarianism in, in 1861. And we have to remember that even at the beginning of the war, it was two slaveholding republics fighting each other. Maryland didn't end slavery till 1864. Delaware not till 1865. So you had two republics that had slaves. Uh, so Where's where's the conflict, right? Where where is Lincoln the radical egalitarian that uh, Harry Jaffa would point him out to be? Um, even if he said nice things in a speech, is that really who Abraham Lincoln was? I think not. I mean, this is uh, this is just reading into Lincoln too much. All right. So let's see. Why don't we say something about the Abbeville Institute? Uh, if people want to know more about that, and you do the podcast over there too. You're a busy guy. Right, I do that. It's abbevilleinstitute.org. It's A-B-B-E-V-I-L-L-E, institute.org. It is a 501c3 nonprofit. So if you want to donate to that, it is tax deductible to the full extent of the law. So if you want to throw some, you have some cash to throw around and want to pay some taxes on it, you can do that. Um, but yes, I do the podcast there. Um, I'm very much involved in it. Uh, we, we publish five articles a week. Sometimes it's articles published from somewhere else, but you know we do have material. We have a daily email that goes out. It's a great organization. I, I do the podcast every Friday. Um, it's, so if you want me two or three times a week and get me there and that'll be all things Southern, that's all I talk about there. So if that's a part of me that you like, and you want to get, you can get that there. It's, um, um, just a wonderful, uh, collection of scholars who are interested in, in figuring out what it is about the South that should be held on to. Should the South be something that we still talk about today, not in negative terms all the time, but is there something beneficial about it? And I think, uh, anyone can learn from that. And so I, I would recommend everyone go out there and check that website out too. Okay, and then, of course, we also want to head over to brianmcclanahan.com, B-R-I-O-N, brianmcclanahan.com. Link to that at tomwoods.com slash 1465. 
Um, while you're there, you can check out the McClanahan Academy and coupon code WOODS will get you a 25% discount there. So uh, lots of great stuff to check out. All of it will be linked at tomwoods.com slash 1465. Ryan, thanks a lot. We'll see you tomorrow. All right, see you later. All right, folks, something a little bit off the beaten path here. For those of you interested in ancient languages, I have riderwishart.com, R-Y-D-E-R-W-I-S-H-A-R-T, riderwishart.com slash courses. Uh, when Ryder learned Greek, he's a, a listener of, of the Tom Wood Show, he was frustrated at how long it took to actually start reading texts for himself. And after years of graduate study of ancient Greek, he's decided that, in fact, there is, in fact, a better way. He says most classes you can take, for example, in seminary or online are based on linguistic models from the 1800s. But his course on reading Greek is based on current and ongoing research. Most courses you can take are geared around learning how to write an exam instead of actually learning the skill of reading Greek. So what he's got for you is perfect for self-taught learners or people who are pursuing an efficient, that is to say, non-traditional education. It includes interactive quizzes and translation exercises, as well as tools for asking questions or getting feedback on any lesson or assignment. Get lifetime access to lectures and updates, and coupon code WOODS gets you 40% off. So if you have an education budget, why not invest in a skill that will open up the ancient world to you? So riderwishart.com slash courses is where you should go. Use coupon code WOODS for 40% off. That's R-Y-D-E-R-W-I-S-H-A-R-T.com. I will link to that at tomwoods.com slash 1465. Make sure before you start that website you've been dying to start that you get your hosting through me so you can get publicity from me and some other benefits that are going to help you a lot. Get the details on what all of those are at tomwoods.com slash publicity. And Brian McClanahan Week continues tomorrow. We'll see you then. Become a smarter libertarian in just 30 minutes a day. Visit tomwoods.com to subscribe to the show for free, and we'll see you next time. Like the sound of the Tom Woods Show? My audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at podsworth.com.